really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. I am your host, David Lawrence. I am an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. We just wrapped up season one, and uh, this is episode one of season two. So ordinarily, there's of course a, a lot more rugby to cover than we have this week, but fear not, there is always rugby if you know where to look. In any event, if you would like to get in touch, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So with all the admin out of the way, why don't we get the show started? So we begin, as always, with our current updates. And current updates for me this week, of course, are about the start of season two of the Scrum of the Earth. Our pledge has been to provide a show each and every single week. And I'm very proud to say we've done that, even through holidays and COVID and everything else life has thrown our way. And I'm thankful to each and every one of you for listening and coming along. This year, we're, we'll still be coming to you every single week, all God's willing. And I hope we'll continue to find new voices to add to our collective conversation here. If there is a topic that you hope I will cover, if there is a person you'd like me to try to interview, please get in touch and tell me about it. Give me suggestions. I will absolutely do my best to get to it. And getting ideas from you is basically my favorite thing anyway. So... Uh, on Twitter, I'm probably going to post some sort of suggestions for some of my own favorite bits from this past year. I mean, the sheer number of incredible guests I've had on just blows my mind. I'm looking forward to bringing back the recurring characters, the all-stars this coming year. So check Twitter to find some of the gold nuggets we've found over the last 12 months. I feel like we've gotten a lot better at this over the course of our inaugural, uh, inaugural year, <laughs> except that I, can't, I still can't say inaugural. But I'm always keen to get better. So get in touch with your ideas whenever you like. He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! Well, Isa, it doesn't really look like good news necessarily for Ian Foster down in New Zealand. I found this article uh, that I'm going to quote pretty heavily from here. Um, the headline was just, please explain meeting, please explain being in quotes, for All Blacks coach Ian Foster must go bone deep. So, when All Blacks coach Ian Foster had his contract extended by New Zealand rugby through to the 2023 World Cup, he used the words certainty and stability to say why his bosses made the right call. It also meant Foster could plan for the future without sweating about the prospect of being axed. That was in August. Now, 11 months later, Foster has been summoned to attend a meeting with New Zealand Rugby to explain what has gone so wrong. Uh, what happened immediately after Foster re-signed appeared to indicate that New Zealand Rugby had made the right call. With the Bledisloe Cup secured after a big win over the, uh, the Wallabies in Auckland, the All Blacks completed a 3-0 clean sweep in Perth. So far, so good. The All Blacks then won the rugby championship title. Two victories over the Pumas, followed by a win and a loss against the Springboks, ensured another trophy was added to the war chest. The 31-29 defeat to the box exposed deficiencies in the All Blacks' setup, but given the championship was already won, it was considered a valuable lesson rather than a calamity. Not ideal, but still pretty good. Next up was the trip to the Northern Hemisphere. As expected, the All Blacks stitched together victories over the United States. <sighs> yeah, no kidding. 
uh, an understrength Wales and Italy. It was in Dublin and Paris where the wheels began to fall off. Foster's plans to end 2021 with a flourish were destroyed as the All Blacks were outplayed by Ireland and France at Aviva Stadium and Stade de France. Uh, yet it was still relatively easy to find excuses. It always is. After almost three months of travel during the pandemic, the All Blacks failed to match their opponent's energy, were beaten up in the forwards, and their attack was too inaccurate under extreme pressure. Yet, New Zealand rugby stood by their man. In return, they expected Foster, who retained all his assistance after an internal review, to ensure that the All Blacks set the record straight against the touring Ireland team. Instead, Ireland's historic two-to-one series win ripped back the skin of the All Blacks beast to reveal multiple weaknesses. Wow, that, that was a graphic one for sure. Now, everything is under scrutiny. New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Mark Robinson labeled the first series loss in New Zealand as, quote, unacceptable, unquote, and said representatives from his organization would immediately meet with Foster before the All Blacks departed for South Africa to play the first two tests of the rugby championship. This suggests Foster will be retained for the championship. Foster will be able to produce a raft of excuses during the summit meeting with his bosses. Ireland, for starters, are a very good team. Foster could say COVID-19 and injuries disrupted preparations in the first two weeks. He may also point out that Ireland prop Andrew Porter should have received a red card for breaking uh, lock Brody Retallick's cheekbone in a dangerous tackle in Wellington, uh, giving, uh, given Angus Ta'ava'o was sent off for a similar offense in the second test in Dunedin. Yet none of this could explain why the, why the All Blacks, having won the first test 42-19 to in Auckland, found extra gears in reverse when they should have been charging even harder out of the gates. Wow, that's a convoluted and twisted metaphor. Anyway, in the decider, it was excruciating to watch the All Blacks botch four lineouts in the first half, concede tries off lineout drives, and ram nails into their own burial casket through handling errors. Ireland deserved the victory. It would be ungracious for any New Zealand rugby fans to state otherwise. New Zealand rugby knows it has a problem. Robinson's decision to take the rare step of putting out a public statement speaks volumes. Hoster, uh, Hoster, Foster is in a hole. He has to dig his way out, but only if New Zealand rugby allows him to get his hands back on the shovel. Wow, these metaphors are coming fast and furious. Dig up, stupid! <laughs> anyway, uh, in the meeting, New Zealand rugby must satisfy themselves. Foster is the right man to keep coaching the All Blacks. As ex-All Blacks coach Sir Stephen Hansen liked to say, they must be prepared to go bone deep. To do otherwise would do the All Blacks and their fans a disservice. Ouch. So moving on, of course, as we always do, to thoughts of the week. And you know what? I recently got myself a lovely little book titled Rugby's Strangest Matches, Extraordinary But True Stories by John Griffiths. And you know what? I'm really enjoying it. It's got more than 120 little tales of interest across the entire history of rugby from the very first international all the way through 2015. This summer, I plan to use some of the shorter ones for my thoughts of the week, and I highly recommend acquiring your own copy. I've linked info about the book as well as where you can purchase it in the show notes, naturally. Uh, I don't have actually any kind of, you know, official permission to use material from it, but as my point is to advertise the work, I imagine it'll be all right. If Mr. Griffiths, uh, if you somehow encounter this podcast and would like me to stop using the book, please let me know. I will always, of course, respect the author's wishes. And you know what? Please don't sue me because you can't get blood from a stone anyway. So to kick things off, I've chosen a story from the early days of rugby history described in the book in the chapter entitled The Long Disputed Try. So 
1884 season was the first in which all four of the home unions played against each other. The championship title depended on a head-on collision between the year's two unbeaten sides, England and Scotland, at Blackheath in March. More than 8,000 made the trip to southeast London to see Scotland take the lead with the first half try that was not converted. Soon after the interval came a disputed try. Scotland won a scrum near the line, but one of their forwards, Charles Barry, fumbled the ball and knocked it backwards. Charles Gurdon picked it up for England, made a beeline for the posts, and fed it to fellow forward Richard Kindersley, who plunged over the line to claim a try. The Scots, however, made an appeal to the referee that the try be disallowed. Little parentheses here. Appeals by teams were part and parcel of the game in the 1880s. Uh, end parentheses. They contended their knock-on had been illegal. Uh, their knockback, I should say, had been illegal. But in England, knockbacks were perfectly legal, and the point made by the English players to the referee, George Scriven of Ireland, was that in any case, it was unfair that Scotland should benefit for their own mistake. The rule relating to advantage did not enter the law book for another dozen years, and as another little bit of side note there. After 10 minutes of earnest discussion, the referee ruled in England's favor, and Wilfred Bolton kicked the goal that sealed the match, and with it, the championship. After the game, the Scots steadfastly refused to accept the ruling. The root of the problem was a straightforward difference in the reading of the laws, but why, they contended, should the rugby football union have sole rights over interpretation? The RFU's defense was more to the point. They argued that whatever the interpretation, the referee's decision was final. But the two nations remained at loggerheads and canceled their fixture for 1885. A year later, the Irish rugby union proposed the formation of an international board to frame the laws of the game and make rulings on disputes. Scotland and Wales were party to a meeting in Dublin where the Scots, two years after the event, finally accepted the outcome of their 1884 game. England, unhappy about representation, boycotted the early meetings of the board. In 1887, the Celtic nations passed a vote that effectively cold-shouldered the English from the international championship for two years, and it was not until 1890 the differences were finally resolved and England returned to the fold. The international board has remained rugby's leading administrative body ever since, but it is interesting to reflect that it might have never come into being but for Scotland's objections in that 1884 game with England. Good stuff. So next up, of course, is the review section. And you know what? In recent weeks, we've wrapped up season five of the MLR. We've finished the URC, the Premiership at Super Rugby Pacific. We've covered the July internationals and even squeezed in some Rugby Europe sevens. There's a bit of a gap now before we get back into the NPC, which will feature a bevy of familiar faces from Major League Rugby, including several of my beloved Free Jacks. However, there are still bits and bobs here and there, as they say, and we've actually got some nice rugby that I don't usually get a chance to cover this week. So for starters, the Pacific Nations Cup wrapped up. And while I only caught the last couple of fixtures, it was great stuff. I'm pleased and grateful that World Rugby streams a lot of these international games and does so for free. Unfortunately, once a match is complete, you can still watch it, but to get it, you'll necessarily have to click through a page with the result right there in front of you. Uh, you know, I wish they had a, a like a sub page for replays or something. Once I know a score, it's really hard for me to enjoy watching generally. In any case, the summary I found expresses the results much better than I could, so I'm just going to quote here, and as always, the link will be in the show notes. So the final match of the Pacific Nations Cup had all the drama needed for the crowd who watched on the hill of Churchill Park. Everything rested on this final game, and with the clock red, it wasn't until the ball was finally kicked to touch by Samoa that the result was secure. This was a comeback for the ages. 
Despite the host leading 17-3 at halftime and looking in control for the first three quarters of the match, Samoa overpowered their rivals at the set piece to confirm their first win against Fiji in Fiji, 23-20. This is the fourth title for Samoa, who become the second most successful team in the Pacific Nations Cup behind, of course, Fiji, who have five. Uh, in the first match of the day, Australia A had won 39-22 against Tonga. That set up a bit of a chance for them, but this is the this was the decider, and everything came down to it. The first try for Fiji was enough to make the crowd roar, as Albert Tuasua picked a fantastic line from a tap penalty to power through the Samoan defense and put his home side ahead in the first quarter. Fiji were in control the first half and had a comfortable 14-point lead at the break. The Samoan uh, scrum struggled under the pressure from Manasa Saulo, who had a performance worthy of his 50th appearance for Fiji. But when both front rows changed later in the second half, the momentum switched, and a collapsing scrum gave Samoa's Rodney Iona the chance to close the gap to four points. Minutes later, another collapsing scrum from Fiji, and then an offside call against them gave Samoa a line out five meters from the try line. Samoa formed a rolling mall, and Lamb powered over for his second try of the match. Iona's conversion confirmed Samoa's three-point lead with ten minutes left on the clock. In the final moments... Fiji gripped onto their final opportunity to create a try with their own attacking line out on the five meter line with seconds left on the clock. Samoa were called for offside and with the advantage, Fiji chose to go for another line out to stretch this match's drama long past the clock turning red. The throw overstretched the line uh, and landed in the hands of Samoa who kicked it to touch to close this year's tournament in the most dramatic fashion. Final score, Fiji 20, 23 for Samoa. Manu Samoa captain uh, Michael Alalatoa said the result was part of the winning culture Samoa are building. Quote, it took us 80 minutes to get there. We know the Fijians are world class, and they showed that in the first half, he said. They put a lot of pressure on our set piece, especially, and especially at scrum time. But I'm so proud of our boys to hang deep. In the past, we would have lost those games, but we are starting to build a winning culture. I'm just so proud of the boys that we were able to dig deep there in the end. Unquote. This was a tournament I wish I had seen much more of, and I already can't wait for it to come back next year. Such good stuff. Okay, also that weekend, on Sunday, July 17th, there was a very exciting match between Uruguay and Romania, with Uruguay coming out on top in the end. Romania actually scored first with Manuel Ardao getting yellow carded and giving the visitors a penalty try, and that was just in the first four minutes, incredibly. By the way, I've never pronounced his name out loud before. I hope I didn't butcher it too badly. In any event, Los Terros, they scored the next two tries, but just after the first quarter of play, Romania tied them at 12, then made the conversion to retake the lead. Just a few minutes later, however, Uruguay struck back to go back on top, and they never relinquished their advantage the rest of the way. Just before the 66-minute mark, Romania scored to pull within six, and they looked full of confidence in Montevideo. However, there would be no more points scored for either side, and the contest ended 26-20, to 20, the crowd going bonkers for their home team really great fun stuff i was very impressed i have to say with how calm and collected the visitors were the whole way taking points when they were on offer showing a lot of know-how for a big test like this one world rugby didn't show this one but i did find the full match on youtube and of course we'll link that in the show notes check it out it was a great match so up next and it was in the wee small hours of saturday morning there was actually a fairly important fixture pitting hong kong against tonga to secure one of the coveted final places, just the final two in the qualifying pathway for Rugby World Cup 2023. Tonga, of course, were heavy favorites as they looked to secure the final Asia-Pacific slot 
while Hong Kong, they took a shot at their first ever qualification. Really exciting. The winner, of course, would be in automatically. The loser would be down to the one final shot in the repechage tournament slated for November, which of course includes my struggling USA Eagles along with Kenya and Portugal. Uh, all week, I've been hearing a lot of pundits sort of casually proclaiming that we will win that competition fairly easily. But, you know, after our performance against Chile and Glendale, I, I have a hard time thinking that's so. In any event, I have to begin with a little shout out. Uh, a shout out to Squidge and Will Owen, who introduced the world to the man they called Tongan Santa on their World Cup retrospective podcast. As for this match, we had, you guessed it, Tongan Santa. In this case, though, it wasn't a Texan who decided to move to Tonga and become their national coach. It was just a fan who happened to decide to dress like Santa Claus. And it was magnificent. It was so good. Also, you know, you love, you know, I love to talk about the atmosphere. It was a, a gorgeous setup for a big fixture like this one. The Australian sun burning orange and gold as it set upon the proceedings. Just quite a spectacle. Anyway, I personally expected Tonga would make mincemeat out of Hong Kong. But it was fairly close throughout the first half with Hong Kong getting an unconverted try and a penalty to stay in it, 20-8 heading into the intermission. To be fair, Tonga had something like four or five tries disallowed. You know, they, they kept making silly handling errors, knocking it on right when they were trying to put it down. That must have happened four times, just that. And it set up a great question for me. You know, heading into the second half, was this sloppiness going to be their undoing would all these simple mistakes allow an overmatched Hong Kong side to sneak out an absolutely historic victory or was the fact that they could have scored 20 or 30 more points in the first half going to mean a blowout in the second quick side note Hong Kong they looked very skilled very together never got rattled all these things were very scary signs for me in other words even if they went on to lose this one they would ultimately be taking on my Eagles in the Repechage Tournament in November to vie for that last spot. And frankly, they looked better than we did against Chile. And I think by more than a little bit. In any event, <laughs> during the intermission, uh, they quickly interviewed Eddie Jones. Are we sure that there isn't more than one Eddie Jones out there? Like, he seems to be on several continents at once, at any given moment. It's starting to freak me out a bit. Anyway, it took almost no time at all. For Sonatane Takalua to get his third try, nothing like a hat trick for the captain, right? Tonga scored 10 points in 10 minutes to get the second half started, but things calmed back down a bit after that. Hong Kong really struggled against the Tongan scrum, but fortunately for them, their hosts had their own issues with the lineout. The handling errors continued, preventing it from turning into a laugher. <laughs> he said, laughing because, as if at once, you know, to prove me wrong again, Tonga, they piled on two more tries as we got to the final quarter of play. And don't blink because it was suddenly 44 to 8 with only about three and a half minutes remaining. Hong Kong did get their second try. It was a lovely little cross kick that went perfectly to plan. But obviously this one was already in the books. The Tongan tickets to France already fully bought and paid for. In fact, Hong Kong, they basically ran the exact same play again right after that and got yet another consolation score. But even with that conversion... That made it 44 to 22 at full time. The comms cried out, these guys will be dangerous in the repechage, to which I replied, gulp. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for that. Anyway, big win for Tonga. We are down to the last available slot for 2023. Very exciting stuff. Quick side note here. It was the great folks over at Rugby Morning who let me know where this match could actually be streamed here in the United States, which turned out to be a relatively new service called 
Clutch, uh, to be fair, Clutch was how I read it in my head before <laughs> noticing there's no T in the name. And I had to pause while I was watching for a few moments just because I was laughing so hard when I realized their name isn't Clutch. It's more like Kluch. <laughs> Maybe Kluch at best. Anyway, first impressions of their service. Uh, you know, it's lovely that they have a multitude of Australian sports on offer entirely for free. But for quote-unquote premium bits like this, you do have to pay, and you know, eight bucks per match. That is not a sustainable price point as far as I'm concerned. On top of that, the footage was, you know, beyond low def. It honestly looked like, I don't know, a VHS copy of, a, of the game where the tape had been left on a hot radiator for several months. Just terrible. In their favor, you can, again, for free, watch games between these really sort of lower tier clubs like... Uh, I'm, I'm not even kidding here. The Mudgy Wombats and the Dubbo Rhinos. You gotta love these Australian club names. It's fantastic. Well, by that music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. This week, we're giving it to Sonatanae Takalua, Captain and Scrum Half for the Kingdom of Tonga. Mr. Takalua, you were born in the year that Tonga last failed to qualify for the Rugby World Cup, and clearly it's been your life's mission to keep you and your country in contention, which you assured this weekend with your solid play and most importantly, your leadership. Quote, leading from the front, unquote, was how the comms described your performance over and over again on the day. Your hat trick meant you personally scored as many tries as the entire opposition after making the Tonga, uh, the Tonga National Sevens team in 2013, you made it to the 15s side by the very next year and have never looked back. Sonatane Takalua, my friend, congratulations, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Congratulations, well done, and enjoy. Okay, that brings us to our updates and previews. And, you know, some of the leagues that I follow in Europe are already beginning in their training camps. That's pretty exciting. But the action we're really going to get to see soonest is all in New Zealand, with the NPC, among others, preparing to kick things off on Friday, August 5th, my dad's birthday, in fact. All the draws have been announced. And as earlier, rather than me trying to reinvent the wheel, I'm just going to quote from a preview article I found, once again, linked in the show notes. By the way, um, I'm having to do a little retcon here because the article I found... Um, I didn't notice that it was from a, at least a week ago. So that means that there's actually been a, the first round of the FPC has already happened. And I'll get to that in just a second. I'm going to have to improvise a little bit. But the headline, of course, read Bunnings Warehouse NPC, FPC and Heartland Championships 2022 draws announced. Domestic rugby season preparations are in full swing with the 2022 season draws announced for the Bunnings Warehouse NPC, the Farrah Palmer Cup and the Heartland Championship. The new Bunnings Warehouse NPC format, featuring all 14 teams playing for one title for the first time since 2010, kicks off on Friday the 5th of August with Manawatu playing Canterbury in Palmerston North. The new format was announced back in February and sees teams placed into two pools made of teams with seedings based on the previous season standings. Odd number teams will be in one pool and even number teams will be in the other with four crossover matches. 
After a disruptive 2021 season, Auckland, Counties Manukau, and North Harbour will return after withdrawing from last year's competition due to COVID-19 restrictions. Auckland kick off their campaign with the Battle of the Bridge match against North Harbour in week one of the competition at Eden Park on Saturday, the 6th of August at 7.05 p.m. Ranfurly Shield holders Hawks Bay have five scheduled defenses at McLean Park in Napier, starting with Counties Manukau on Friday, the 12th of August at 7.05. So, and here's what I was getting to. The Bunnings Warehouse FPC Premiership kicked off, I have to change that to past tense, kicked off at 12.05 p.m. on Saturday, the 16th of July. If anyone knows where I can find this competition to watch it, please tell me. I had no idea. Uh, it featured Wellington playing Canterbury, uh, defending champions Waikato kicking off their season on the same day against last year's FPC championship winner and newly promoted Manawatu. And... I have a quick update, that first round. So on Saturday, the 16th of July, it was three matches. Waikato overcoming Manawatu, 33-24. Wellington getting pretty smashed at home by Canterbury, 5-43. And then Auckland Storm at home overcoming Counties Monacau, um, 39-20. Really good stuff. I can't believe that it's not on. Thanks, Flo. Uh, in any event. Following a unique season in 2021, which included All Blacks great Ma'ananu playing for East Coast and current All Blacks captain Sam Kane taking the field for King Country, the Bunnings Warehouse Heartland Championship will kick off in Westport on the 20th of August, where Bowler will play mid-Canterbury. The Bill Osborne Taonga, uh, introduced in 2021, will be defended for the first time by Poverty Bay, who will play the Wairapa Bush on 27th of August at Rugby Park in Gisborne. Quote, the 2021 season was a challenging one for domestic rugby, especially those teams in the Auckland region, due to the extended COVID restrictions. It'll be great to kick off the 2022 season with a new format for the Bunnings Warehouse NPC and all 14 teams on the field from the opening round. The FPC will be part of a huge year for women and girls rugby, and I think we will see our players inspired by the Rugby World Cup being in Aotearoa and the impact that will have on rugby and New Zealand over the coming months. Unquote. The Fair Palmer Cup, uh, presented by Bunnings Warehouse, sees a seven-week round-robin with the top four premiership teams and top four championship teams playing in semifinals on the 2nd through 4th of September. The following weekend, we'll see the respective finalists play off for the premiership and championship titles. Premiership teams this year are Waikato, Canterbury, Auckland, Wellington, Counties Manukau, Bay of Plenty, and Manawatu. The championship teams are Otago, Taranaki, Hawke's Bay, North Harbour, Northland, and Tasman. The Bunnings Warehouse NPC sees teams divided into two conferences based on the previous season standings following the round-robin matches and quarterfinals. Teams placed 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13 will play in the odds conference. This is a little bit obvious. And teams placed 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 will play in the evens conference in 2022. The round-robin includes four crossover matches per team. Uh, where teams from the Odds Conference will play teams from the Evens Conference. Yes, I think we got that. Sorry about that. Odd teams this season are Waikato, Hawks Bay, Bay of Plenty, Wellington, Otago, Southland, and Counties Monocau. Even teams this season include Tasman, Canterbury, Auckland, Taranaki, Manawatu, North Harbour, and Northland. Well, if any of you know of any other rugby coming in the next week or so that I've missed, by all means, let me know. And round two of the FPC is already coming, starting on the 23rd, so it's... Oh, it's happening pretty much as I'm recording this right now. Please let me know if you can figure out a way that I can watch that here in the U.S. In the meantime, I am simply chomping at the bit. This is such a great comp.
Oh, well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thanks for continuing to join us here for season two. Congratulations to Tonga for getting into another World Cup, having only missed the one, as I alluded to previously back in 1991. We're a couple of weeks away from another great NPC competition, and as I said earlier, if you can find a way for me to watch the FPC here in the US, please, please let me know. The best way to get in touch, if you want to tell me about that or anything else, quite frankly, the best way to do that is via Twitter, at of Scrum. You can always just shoot an email to the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. So, that's it for now. Until next time, thanks to all of you for listening all over the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. Come on, 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 come on,